0: Um, So uh, I realize that those of you who are on the computer can't see the people in person. So I'm going to turn you around once so you can see that I'm not pretending that there's people here. So you can say hi to them. So hello, people here. Say hello. People online, say hello. There we go. All right. This is my first experience with this sort of blended um, uh, situation. So please, I crave your patience. We'll see how this goes. Okay. Um, So let let me open us in a little prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, this evening and for the chance to come together as a family, both in person and online. We thank you for uh, the technology that makes this possible. Um, we thank you especially for uh, the privilege of, of reading your word together. And we know, Lord, that um, you will speak to us through it because your word is living and active. And so we ask that you'd speak to us again tonight through your scripture and help us to know what it means to be your faithful people. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, I just want to very briefly give an overview of what we're going to do over the next few weeks. And so if you're sitting in worship, and and, and, uh, not in worship, whatever this room is called, um, you've got a little sheet of paper on your your chair. If not, I put it on the screen. Um, Just an overview of where I want us to go in six weeks. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about how Jesus, um, created a movement that neither fled from nor adhered to the divisive politics of his day. And we'll talk tonight a little bit about what those politics looked like in first century Ju- uh, Jerusalem and Judea. And then we're going to talk about how we can apply Jesus' teaching to our context to see how the church can transcend some of the political divisions I think, you know, we all see around us. Um so uh, there's a little bit of an explanation of what we're doing, but I want to explain particularly about where we're going over the next few weeks. So tonight we're going to talk about a kingdom of God worldview, and then next week we're going to talk about the dangerous lure of simplicity, and we'll be in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John, talking about the woman caught in adultery. And then the following week we're going to talk about the power of imagination, and we'll deal with Jesus um, and his conversation about whether we should pay taxes to caesar and then on october 7th we'll talk about distractions and versus substance and that'll be related to jesus and the conversation with nicodemus and then truth claims on the 14th and that's going to be jesus <coughs> talking to Pilate about what is truth <coughs> and the power of unity um, on our last night together and that's going to be uh, in the final prayer jesus prays for his disciples in john 17 so just a little sense of where we're going most nights we're gonna really focus in on one text. Tonight we're gonna be in Matthew 13, but we're gonna be a little bit around in the Gospel of Matthew and, and John a little bit as well. Okay, so just a, a big picture sense of where we're going. Um, so uh, if you're if you're joining us online, I'm going to um, have all of the both the slides and that sh- screen I just showed you available on our website tomorrow. I've already sent them to Drew, and so he'll put them up tomorrow. You'll be able to. Uh, download them yourself, okay? Um, all right, uh, so here's my plan for tonight. My plan is um, there'll be a, 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 some sort of conversation that we'll have separately, uh, be in groups online, or it'll be in groups here in person, and then some of me talking. Our only limitation tonight in terms of technology is that while you guys can hear the folks online, they cannot hear you, okay? Because I'm being recorded through this little earpiece in my ear and it can't pick you up. Um, so just that's why I'm not going to have you talk to them because it, it'll be a very one-way conversation. All right, All right. so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Christ and Caesar, and, uh, and, and I want to talk um, tonight particularly about um, this kingdom of God worldview, but I want to begin by asking you to talk amongst yourselves. So I want to ask you a, a really straightforward question. Um, has our national political division between left and right, Republican and Democrat, red and blue, et cetera, grown better or worse in your lifetime, what makes you feel like you do? I'm not looking for blame pointing, right? I'm looking for you to tell me whether you feel like it's getting better or worse, and why you feel that way, okay? Um, And then the second question I want you to talk about is, how does that affect the church? That could be our church particularly, or that could be, you know, the global, the national church, all, all Christians in America. So, In what direction do you feel like the division um, along political lines is moving in our country more divided or less divided and how do you think that affects the church that kind of make sense okay (laughs) um so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you like three minutes to have this conversation and then pull you back all right um so i I think we're all back (laughs) so I, i heard just a little bit of conversation in my discussion group i don't know how it represents what everyone else said but Um, The the general feeling in our group was that things were becoming um, more divisive. Um, Is that kind of where you guys fell as well? Yeah, sort of. Uh, People online, what was your sort of sense? Similar, yeah, I see Wendy. Okay, people are nodding, yeah. Um, So I want to be careful. I I don't want to be that guy that um, runs into a movie theater and calls fire. Uh, and I know my American history enough to know that we've always been divided around politics right from the it's very fine. beginning. You Thank should you see the stuff that know. Adam oh. and Jefferson wrote about each other, right? Um, however, um, I, I do think, uh, as we said in our group, that we've seen signs of, of things becoming more stringent. So I want to think about how this affects the church, because I, I, I think this is a, a, a timely issue for us. So I think there are some things that are different about today's politics, that maybe weren't the case um, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, the first one, as several people mentioned, is that um, it's now kind of, it's everywhere, it's ubiquitous, right? So we got the 24 seven news cycle, we got cable news, we got um, social media. So it's not just that there's disagreements, it's that there's people talking about those disagreements all the time. Uh, and a lot of those people are talking online, on Facebook, and so what might have always been there gets exacerbated because it's just talked about and talked about and talked about. Um, I I think it's also become something of a sort of a a self-reinforcing, self-sustaining system um, because we get in like an echo chamber, right, where we read similar news or we hear from similar people and sort of reinforces the same stuff. uh, And we know that this channel has this perspective and this channel has that perspective and this newspaper and that newspaper. And and, and as we said in in our groups, sometimes it's almost viscerally uncomfortable to sit down and talk to somebody who disagrees strongly around these topics. And and a number of families said, hey, we've just decided we don't talk politics at family dinners, right, because it's just too uncomfortable. Um, And and I I think that makes good sense, but it's also a bummer that we can't talk about those things that are important to us. Um, And and my personal experience is that um, there are things – and my life, you know, my experiences maybe were limited, but I remember, like, 9-11 as a national crisis that really felt like our nation came together. And COVID's not the same, but COVID is a pretty big crisis for us, and it doesn't feel that same way to me, right? It feels like we all pick sides. Um, uh, mm-hmm. The other thing that really stands out to me is different um, is, is I feel like more and more um, we are <sighs> divided not along issues but along identity, uh, so I read a couple of polls. Um, there was one that was done in 2017 by the Pew Research Center, which said basically that our sense of an increasing gap between different political parties or or, or conservatives and liberals in our nation, that the, our sense that it's growing seems to be accurate based on all these surveys they they did. Uh, but then there was another study done in 2012 by Stanford, um, and um, a political science professor there examined political polarization from the angle not of how we stand on issues but how we feel about those on the other side of the fence Um, and it said um, that the feelings of those who affiliate as republican or as democrat have become increasingly negative since the late 80s Um, and this this is a quote the general pattern of dislike was mirrored by other specific metrics of social distance disapproved not our kind of social distance disapproval of one's child marrying someone from the opposing party, as well as the attribution of negative stereotypes, i.e. closed-minded, hypocritical, selfish, mean, to those of the opposing party, both of which have increased sharply since the 1960s. Interestingly, this affect polarization wasn't so much related to ideology, where one stood on issues, as much as partisan identity per se. Uh, Another couple of surveys are cited, but the, the point is, that it seems like very often in our world today, we don't divide along issues. What do you think about um, taxes and how taxes should be done? We divide along identity, right? Well, I am conservative, so I go with the conservative side. I am liberal, I go with the liberal side, not necessarily caring about the issue itself. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, it sure does. Yeah, and we see that interestingly, because parties will change dramatically their position on an issue and they don't lose their party members, right? Because their party members have that identity um, affiliation that's even stronger than the issue affiliation. Really an interesting thing for me. Um, Go ahead, Greg, do you wanna say something? I'm just saying you're right. Well, hey, you can say that all you want. I love it. (laughs) Um, So I I wanna think about that issue particularly and, and just generally Um, And I didn't mean which side either. That's right. Um, And and generally how we engage, um, how we engage these sort of macro topics. And so I want to talk about worldview. Sometimes we use the word ideology. Sometimes we use the word hermeneutic, right? But we just mean the lens through which we view the world, right? So everybody has a worldview. It's the lens through which you see the world. There's that old joke about, um, you know, one fish swims up to another fish, and the first fish says, how's the water? And the second fish says, what the heck is water, right? Because um, if you're a fish, you can't tell you're in water. Um, and uh, if, you're, if you've got a worldview, you can't tell that you have the worldview, right? Like you can't see the lens, the contact lens on your eye. You just see the world through that lens. Uh, and, and so um, I think for most people, and, and certainly includes myself, our political views are part of our worldview, right? It's just the way we see what's around us. And we don't necessarily examine the lens, right? And so I'm going to think about the lens tonight, the 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 filter through which we think about all these different political topics. Um, And I want to ask the question: How does Jesus affect, challenge, or change our worldview? Right? How does he change our worldview? And and, and I'm giving away the answer here, I guess. I think Jesus does, right? And I think if you if you follow Jesus and it doesn't change how you see the world, then you're not really accepting him as Lord, right? So um, uh, I want to spend a little time talking about the world in which Jesus uh, operated, because if we think politics are divisive now, they are nothing like first century um, Palestine. And uh, I want to talk about some of the, the worldviews that he dealt with, and then um, his response to them and how that helps us in our, in our time. So um, maybe you guys know some of this. Um, can anybody name any of the religious groups? and first century judaism we we read some of them in the bible um different groups of of jews or different philosophies of judaism pharisees. okay Bob, go ahead
1: sadducees
0: okay fantastic that's great so and i heard people online say some of the same things as well pharisees sadducees zealots um so there's a whole bunch of different movements so um Uh, There are some religious divisions within Judaism and Jesus' day, right? And you could kind of think of these as very passionate denominations, very passionate denominations, right? Um, So uh, the Sadducees are the group that runs the temple cult. They're, They're in charge of the worship at the temple. They're the most politically powerful group, probably the most affluent group. They don't so much care about what goes on outside of Jerusalem, right? Their focus is really on the temple and the worship. Um, They believe in the first five books of the law, and they believe in no resurrection, no life after death, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's the Pharisees. The Pharisees uh, absolutely care about the temple, but their ministry is really about how do we get the common people to follow God? They're the predecessors of modern Judaism, and so they start synagogues, and they have rabbis, and they teach people even if they can't come to the temple. And they believe in the whole Old Testament as the Bible. And they believe in life after death, which we call the resurrection. Uh, And then there's the Essenes who are like an ascetic. They're kind of like a a monastic order, right? So there's all these different um, Jewish religious groups fighting for who can be in charge, right? Uh, And then there's um, some political distinctions. And I'm just going to do broad strokes here. um, But there's the Hellenists and the traditionalists, right? So um, Hellenists comes from the Greek word Helene, which means Greek. Uh, and it literally means those people that like the Greco Roman philosophy, right? So, the, the, remember, the world has been conquered by Alexander the Great and then later by the Roman Empire. And so, the dominant culture is this culture of Greece and Rome. And that means all kinds of things that good Jewish boys and girls are not supposed to like, right? And it means, um, you know, going to the gymnasium and um, uh, doing things that Jewish boys didn't do. And it meant um, observing holidays for Roman gods and goddesses. And it meant taking on names that weren't Jewish names, that were Greek names, right? And so there were many Jews that chose to sort of acclimate to that culture. And there were other Jews that said, no, we're the traditionalists, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna do Jewish names. We're gonna follow Jewish law. We're not gonna become like the dominant culture. Uh, and then there's the zealots that a couple of people mentioned. Uh, the zealots were a group of traditionalists that were militaristic, right? That wanted to take up arms and drive off the Romans, right? Um, and we'll talk about them m- more in a minute. Uh, and then um, to make it another whole level of complexity, and we're doing a very simple version of the complexity here. Um, we, we had the, some groups uh, against the, or um, above the Jewish people, right? So um, the Idumeans, Idumeans are the descendants of Edom, who themselves were the descendants of Esau, the brother of Isaac, right? Um, and Herod the Great, right, who's king when Jesus is born, is an Idumean king. And his children reign over most of the region of um, Palestine in Jesus' day, right? So they're not Jews, and they're not Romans. They're Idumeans. And there's all kinds of conflict with them. And then, of course, there's all kinds of conflict between the Jews and the Romans. And um, just to give you a very quick overview of of the the violent conflict, um, there were a whole bunch of armed revolts. one of them happened when Jesus was like 10 or 12 years old. So when Jesus was a boy, um, there was a revolution that happened in his um, stomping grounds of Galilee by a guy named Judas, and basically he was rebelling against the idea of taxation by the Roman Empire. He would have fit in real, real well with like Sam Adams, right, in the Boston Tea Party. Um, and uh, some ancient historians say that that's actually the beginning of the zealot movement, Okay. Um, then, uh, so that's when Jesus is a child, 30 years after Jesus dies, um, there is a massive civil war, uh, or a revolt that goes on for seven years, um, and most significantly results in the destruction of the temple, which is never again rebuilt to this day in 70 AD. Uh, and then just so you're aware, there's another war and another war. Uh, and, and so this, this conflict in Jesus' day is not mostly violent except for that one uh, revolution he he lived through as a boy, but it's always there, right? And all these levels of complexity, how do you view the Bible and who's a good Jew and who's not? And how do you view the Greek culture and uh, what are we supposed to do about it? And how do you deal with the Romans and Herod's family? He's dealing with all of that stuff, right? And, and Jesus is absolutely, um, It's absolutely required for him to come up with some political view about how he handles all of that, right? He needs a worldview. Is he going to be a Pharisee or a Sadducee or something else, Is he going to be a Hellenist or a traditionalist or a zealot or something else? Uh, And so I think um, if we want to kind of sum up what his response is um, to all of those possibilities, um, I want to say that Jesus's response is what I call a kingdom of God worldview, okay, a kingdom of God worldview, and, and no surprise to any of us, he doesn't pick any of the established lanes, right, he, he goes his own way, um, so uh, I want to talk a little bit about what is the kingdom of God, and before I tell you what I think, um, I, I want you guys to talk, I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes, okay, it's going to be brief, but I want you to talk, you've heard the phrase before, maybe in church, maybe in the Bible, when you hear kingdom of God, what do you think that means? Okay. Um, and I'm not going to ask you to look them up now, but if you want to, um, in your notes later, I'll give you a bunch of verses you can look up to, to see what Jesus says about the kingdom of God. Um, he talks about it more than any other topic in the New Testament. Um, so there's like 100 references, and I listed five. Um, but you don't need to look them up now. You can if you want. What I really want to ask you to do is to take about two or three minutes and in your group say, when you hear the phrase, the kingdom of God, what do you think that means? Okay. Makes sense as a question. All right. I'm going to send you to breakout groups. Okay. Let me, I'm going to pull everybody back. Um, so thank you for your conversations. I'm just curious briefly, uh, anybody want to share any thoughts? I mean, I know we can't get them all, but one thought from your group maybe, um, or anybody wants to share about what the kingdom of heaven means as you think about it. I heard some great conversation in the one group I was sitting in on.
1: Go Joel.
0: Huh? Okay, great. So one one comment was what's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? Ooh, that's a great one, Herb. And can I add a piece to that? I want to make three things. So there's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and heaven. And and I would suggest that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are in scripture are used interchangeably but heaven is different from the kingdom of heaven, right? Um, so when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, it, it seems to be exactly the same thing, but heaven is not the same thing as the kingdom of heaven. Okay, we're gonna come back to that. That's big. That's really good. Okay. Um, anybody Anybody from the um, from one of the online groups who wants to share anything that you guys discussed or questions that came up? Cool, Rose.
1: Okay, yeah, we talked about the... Um you know, the kingdom of God in heaven and also on earth, but um, where on earth there, we talked about the Beatitudes a little bit, or the fact that there isn't suffering, that we treat each other um, so that there's peace and harmony, and if you want to use the word, or overuse the word utopia, but things are, there's some perfection that is brought to our lives so that no one suffers.
0: Okay, love it. So the, um, several people mentioned that sort of the the bit of the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right, that, that we are hoping that we end up with this perfect world. Um, and we know it won't be perfect till Jesus comes back, right, but, but maybe we can work on it a little bit now and make it more like Jesus, right? Okay, that's great. That's great. Um,
1: Wendy, you uh, okay. had a
0: good... oh, go ahead, Ruth. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, Wendy, you had a good comment about sin. I think that was, how did you say that? think if you're meaning we we just talked about who you know who gets to
0: belong to the kingdom of heaven i think it's for everybody and um we were talking a little bit about you know the the sin or the the gravity or the of the sin or the amount and i wouldn't presume to be the one to judge who who would who would be get to be part of it and who wouldn't i think we have to behave as
1: if we're all part of it
0: okay Ooh, interesting conversation so how do you How do you get to be part of the kingdom of heaven? Oh, that's good. Okay. Love it. Love it. Okay. Anybody else want to throw anything out? Okay. I'm going to share this, my screening with you one more time so you can see some of these scriptures as I I talk. Um, So um, uh, I'm not going to read all of these, but I just wanted you to have um, a, a little sense of how Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So uh, Matthew chapter four, verse 17 is right after he um, goes in the desert and he's tempted by Satan and he comes back out and then he starts his ministry and he begins his ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Um, and I've always thought that's really interesting. It's not the only time he says that um, the kingdom of heaven has come near and, and you can read that to mean soon or close by right? Because near can mean spatial or temporal. So it could mean the kingdom of heaven is coming soon, but I don't think that's what it means. I think he means... Didn't he, didn't he it is, say it is, is, is near? Is, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is near or has come near. Yes, that's right. Um, I think it means that it's physically close to you, right? Um, uh, you're you're going to find that same language in, in Matthew 10 when he sends the disciples out in pairs to witness. Um, what's interesting is when he talks about the kingdom of heaven... <coughs> It almost always accompanies a set of actions. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36 says, then Jesus went all about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and sickness. So it's interesting that the teaching, the healing, and the proclamation of the kingdom all kind of come together in Jesus' ministry. Right? We see that pattern very often. Um, Uh, I put John in there because that's where um, we have the language of being born again, Um, and it's interesting that uh, in that conversation about being born again, the kingdom comes up, and Jesus says to – this is, again, a conversation with Nicodemus. We'll read another part of that in a future week, but he says to Nicodemus, very truly no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born from above or born again. Right, so that gets to the question Wendy had about who gets to come in and, and what, what are the entrance requirements, right? Um, so uh, I think we struggle to understand what the kingdom of God is. So I'm going to give you two definitions. These are the Jim Gates definitions, so they, you know, they're imperfect, <laughs> but here we go. Um, the first one is really straightforward. The kingdom of God is the fulfillment of the kingdom of Israel. Okay, the kingdom of God is the fulfillment of the kingdom of Israel. I, I use that language very intentionally. You remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Right? So as Jesus came to fulfill the law, the kingdom is the fulfillment of the kingdom of Israel. So Israel is a foreshadowing um, of what God's desire is for humanity, right? The, the right way we live in relationship to God and each other and the kingdom of God is supposed to be the fulfillment of that, right, the the completion of that, the perfection of that. Um, The the other definition I would give you um, is that the kingdom of God exists wherever people joyfully acknowledge Jesus as king and live out a rightly ordered love for God, each other, and God's creation. Um, And uh, I I really like that idea, that the kingdom of God exists wherever people joyfully acknowledge Jesus as king and live out a rightly ordered love for God, each other, and God's creation. Um, so, uh, unlike Israel, the kingdom of God is not primarily a political reality, right? There's no borders. There's no governor. There's no taxes. There's no standing army for the kingdom of God. Israel have these things, but we don't. Unlike Israel, the kingdom of God is not complete until Jesus comes back. We believe that one day Jesus will return from heaven, he will raise the dead, there'll be a final judgment, uh, and then he will usher in the the completeness of his kingdom, right? We are in an in-between stage right now. Unlike Israel, the kingdom of God places a high value on the individual's connection to God and not just the nation. We don't always get this, but when you read the Old Testament, um, it's not as concerned with individual salvation of people, right? Um, When it talks about an individual, it's usually because that individual is threatening the holiness of the nation by their sin, right? Um, But in general, the goal in the old Testament is, is almost always a communal relationship with God. But in, in the new Testament, we get that branched out a little bit, right? And Jesus goes after individuals and invites individuals to begin a relationship with him, never completely by themselves, but that becomes a, a new sort of emphasis. However, like Israel, The kingdom of God is not primarily individualistic, right? And and I think this is one of our struggles. It's not about me and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus, right? Uh, it's, it's not. Doesn't doesn't the Lord's prayer kind of says it all. Uh, the Lord's prayer. Yes, it does. The Lord's prayer does say it all. I could have skipped this whole night and just said that prayer. You guys could have had a lot more time for evening. I should have planned better anyway. Um, uh, the, oh, that? So um, uh, it's not that Jim Gates is the bride of Christ, right? It's that the church is the bride of Christ. It's not that at the end days Jim Gates gets resurrected. It's that everyone gets resurrected and we come to God together, right? And so um, this is about this beautiful community, not just me and Jesus. So me and Jesus is important too. Yeah, Howie, you had a question. Yes. Good. Good question. So the question is, um, when we say Israel, we don't always mean the same thing. Sometimes it means a nation state. Sometimes it means a people group. What is, what is, so in this situation, I'm talking about Israel as a nation state under King David, uh, you know, the, the greatest season of the people of God. Um, but even before that under Moses, right, they're not a nation state, but they are one people, right? Um, that's the idea of that collective community uh, of people united by the Torah and in covenant with Yahweh. That's what I mean by, by, um, by Israel. Yeah, good question. Um, okay, and, and just one more thing. Um, like the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God is a present reality. I realize there is no kingdom of Israel today. I mean there's a nation of Israel, but it's different. But there was a time when there was a kingdom of Israel on earth, right? And it was a present reality. It wasn't just one day we'll have our own land. And in the same way, the kingdom of God is a present reality today. It's not just the thing that we hope one day will happen. It already exists among us. Wherever people joyfully acknowledge Jesus as Lord and King. Okay? Um, Golly. Okay. So um, I want to think a little – oh, gosh, one more thing. I forgot. This is super important. I I want to read a little bit of Matthew 13 um, as we're thinking about this kingdom of God worldview. Uh, Matthew 13 is a series of parables. We call it the parabolic sermon. And I'm going to read just one. Um, And this is the parable of my favorite parable, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Verse 24 says, Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so uh, I love this parable because it reminds us that part of the purpose of the church is to grow, right? Part of the purpose of the kingdom of God is to grow. Um, There's another parable, the parable of the mustard seed. There's the parable of the yeast. There's the parable of the soils that all make the same point. Um, It's not that Jesus showed up and said, hey, um, you know, here's some rules, try to follow them. I'll be back in 10 years. I hope you have the same 10 people. Right. No, it's it, it's the purpose of the church is to grow, to expand the kingdom of God, right? to bring more people into the kingdom where we love each other and love God in the right way. Um, so um, I believe that we can today still cooperate with the Holy Spirit to grow God's kingdom. Um, and, and I think if you were going to ask Jesus in the midst of all of the politics of his day to define his worldview, this is what he would tell you. Right the lens through which he views the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Hellenes and the traditionalists and the Greeks and the Romans is through the kingdom of God, right? That's how he thinks about the world. Um, So um, what if that's how we did it? What if we were able to somehow take off the lens that we use to see the world and put on a kingdom of God lens? How would that change how we see things? Um, By the way, I want to say something. I'm using the language of kingdom of God worldview. I often hear people use the language of biblical worldview, which I really like. I just want to point out that the Sadducees thought they had a biblical worldview, and the Pharisees thought they had a biblical worldview, and the Zealots thought they had a biblical worldview, right? So when I say a kingdom of God worldview, I mean a biblical worldview like Jesus saw it. right? Does that make sense? Not like I see it or not like somebody else sees it. Okay. Um, So... um, briefly, I'm going to go through these fast because I want you to have some more time to talk, but um, briefly I want to think about what might change if I saw our world with that kind of worldview, with, with a kingdom of God worldview as Jesus did. Um, so I thought about just some basic ideas, right, um, in this season of politics and elections and whatever else. Um, uh, what would our hope for the future look like if it was rooted primarily in a vision of the kingdom of God? Uh and this is one of the things politicians often talk about, right? They talk about hope, um, and that's great. I mean, I, I'm I'm for hope. I'm pro hope. Um, but um, my hope isn't that one politician or one party will come along with the solution for the world's problems. They are not who I am looking to for for solutions, right? Um, my hope, my ultimate hope, has got to be in the kingdom of God. And so, um, how are politics and our churches different? Um, even in election seasons, if our primary hope is in the expansion of a Jesus-centered beloved community, um, well, one easy answer for me for that question is: um, I'm not going to be upset. Come, I don't even know when the election happens—November, or whatever. Um, whoever wins, whoever loses, isn't going to destroy my life, right? Because I know that neither neither winner or loser is going to bring in my hope. My hope is about what Jesus is going to bring in, right? And I'm going to be working on that, whether whoever party is in whatever place. Um, so, uh, hope I think can change significantly. Also, it means, um, I can't, if, if my hope is in the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven, then I can't leave the work to politicians, right? I can't leave the work to other people. It's my job to get involved in sharing the story of Jesus and loving people as Jesus loved them, right? I, it's gotta be on me and not on somebody else. Um, uh, briefly, uh, what if our concept of political victory was rooted primarily in the kingdom of God? This is a fun one for me. So we know that the way you win in politics is you get elected, right? Uh, And normally that means you have to beat somebody else. Um, And the way we think about politics in our, in our discourse very often is about beating the other guy or beating the other girl or whatever. Um, But in the kingdom of God, victory isn't about beating the other side. It's about persuading them to come live a life with you and Jesus. Right? So, if my goal is persuasion and not um, def- defeat of the other side, um, how does my politics and my church change if I'm trying to listen, debate, and persuade those with whom I disagree instead of just beating them? Um, I mean, really interesting for me. It means um, I have to listen to voices I don't normally want to listen to. It means I have to get outside my little echo chamber of, of the, the reinforcing, self sustaining. Um, this is how the world works and go talk to other people because I can't persuade anybody if I'm not with them and doing life with them. Um, It means um, I may have to be um, conscious about what is persuasive to me. So, I mean, I see all this stuff on social media and people post these things and I think, you know, that doesn't persuade me. I, I, every time I turn on YouTube, now I get a commercial from, from some political person. And never once have I watched a commercial and said, oh, now I'm convinced they are really the right person for our country. Never once, right? Those things aren't – you know what's persuasive to me? When somebody sits down and listens to me and cares about me and is interested in me and then shares what they think, I want to listen to what they think too, right? So um, if I have a kingdom of God worldview, Uh victory looks different, right? Hope looks different. Um, uh, What if we shared the same core priorities about the kingdom? Um, What if – um what if we recognized on some level that because we are all deeply vested in this thing we call the kingdom of god and the expansion of 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 the reign of jesus christ on our earth um that we all want um we want the same stuff right uh we all want to see the poor taken care of we all want to see um the the homeless find homes we all want to see um Businesses flourish because God gave us work, and work is a good thing. It's part of how we glorify God, right? We all want these same things. We might disagree on how we get there, right? But, boy, I take enormous comfort in knowing that I share the same motivation and priorities as somebody else. And it's easier for me to have a conversation with somebody I disagree with if we um, begin with some shared truth, right? Um, we, all, we all want the kingdom of God to move forward, um, Uh, Okay, and then um, one – I'm going to skip that. I'm sorry. One more thing I want to say. Um, I want to come back to this idea of identity again. right? So we talked at the beginning about our worldview and and our identity and sort of identity politics. What if our kingdom affiliation was the most important identity for us Christians in an identity-based political affiliation world? Um, How might that change how I look at um, all of the stuff in our nation – if my first us isn't my party, but my church, right? Which is, at least in our situation, by definition, a bipartisan us, right? Um, and that what unites us is not our agreement about all these topics, but our love for Jesus Christ and our desire to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, one thing that struck me is, boy, if, if, if that was real for me, um, then maybe I don't, engage in identity politics in the same way, right? Maybe it's no longer I believe this because I've always been of this party or this persuasion. Maybe it becomes more issue-based for me, which I think is a great thing, right? On this topic, I feel passionately for these reasons, is very different than I must feel this way because my party tells me I must, right? If my us is Jesus and the church, then I am free to go all kinds of different ways on issues based on whatever the Holy Spirit convicts me to believe. True. Um, okay. Uh, I, I, I've, I've talked more than I wanted to talk. So I'm going to ask you guys to go back to your groups and I want you to, to, to answer two questions. Okay. In what ways do you already have a kingdom of God worldview? Um, so what ways do you already sort of think in this way, right? Which is great. Um, and, and how could you grow that in yourself, right? How can you, um, what would it mean to sort of think more like a kingdom of God perspective? So what ways do you already have it? How could you grow it? Um, and then what would happen to the church, not just our church, but just the church generally, if if we embraced the same worldview as Jesus on all these issues that are dividing our country and our world today? I'm going to – can I say what we were talking about, Brent? I'm going to say one thing that came up in our group um, – well, several things, but one particular – we talked about um, the, the idea that you know Jehovah's Witnesses sort of completely disengage from po- political realities and politics. They don't vote, they don't do any of that stuff. And we don't take that course. Why not? And my answer was, we do believe that the church and Jesus are the ultimate solution. But um, the, the the government could be used for good, right? We can we can do good things together as a nation. We have done good things together as a nation. As long as my ultimate hope isn't there, there's no problem with me saying, hey, I wanna engage and try to move things in a positive direction. Um, And I heard uh, Lois saying, um, again, if, if I recognize people around me are sharing these kingdom priorities and saying, ultimately, I want the poor to be taken care of. I want people to have good jobs. I want all these things. How I get there might be an issue of debate. But at least we can agree on those core priorities and principles. I think that's huge. Yeah. Any other thoughts or comments from, from your conversation?
1: Someone brought up the human connection that we need to take that time to, um, in, in regard to the, the church might give money, mission committee might give money to something, but how do we gauge the community? Um, it's hard during COVID. But how do we engage the community if we want people to rake yards and we get 10 people and we've got a congregation of how many or for whatever volunteer thing you think um we tend to schedule and become very busy and we maybe should schedule some um volunteer time that i'm going to leave some hours you know and i don't know um but it's just a thought because i'm getting busy with with, even during covid Mm
0: That's a great thought. And I, and I think if I'm going to, again, it comes back to that idea that if, if my hope is in the kingdom of God and I'm part of the kingdom of God, I got to make space and time to do that kind of kingdom of God work. And, and that could be as dramatic as, you know, talking to somebody and convincing them to follow Jesus. And it could be as um, humble as I will come rake somebody's yard. Right. But if I don't make myself available to do that work, then I'm lying when I say it's my worldview, right? Because my, my, my money's not where my mouth is. Yeah, that's great, great point. Okay, awesome. Um, okay, I, I, I apologize, I know I'm a little bit over tonight. Um, I, I just wanna say two quick other things um, and I gotta figure out how to make this work again. Okay, um, so first of all, I, I wanna ask, and I don't think I am, but am I being horribly naive, right? So I, I have this idea that um, if we can see our world in in, in this particular season, our politics in the same way that Jesus saw his world in in the politics of his day, then maybe we can um, respond differently. I am not suggesting, please understand, I am not suggesting that if every Christian truly came to the world with a kingdom of God mindset, political debate would just disappear. Mm -hmm. That's not my point, but I think it might change the tenor of the debate. I really believe this it really might change the tenor of the debate. And maybe we could, as Christians, model for the rest of the country what it looks like uh, to wrestle with important topics in a loving way, recognizing that they matter, but not as much as Jesus matters. And, and what binds us together is greater than what could ever possibly divide us. Right. Uh, I really believe that that's what Jesus was trying to get the Jews of his day to understand and the Gentiles of his day to understand. Um, that if their identity was found in him, then all the other things they were wrestling with ultimately could be overcome, right? But without that, they couldn't have victory in anything. So um, I don't think it's naive. I am realizing it's not a, a magic pill, but, but I do believe it can change how we think about um, the, the whole political situation in which we find ourselves. Um, I also recognize this isn't the end, right? This isn't like the whole solution. Um, so I, I, this is just the start to the conversation. So so next week, I'm really excited to talk about the dangerous lure of simplicity. And, and the, one of the last things we said in my breakout group was we were talking about political parties and, and just the fact that sometimes we wish there weren't any parties at all and people just, you know, debated on issues alone. Um, we're going to talk about some of that next week. Okay. And and um, what happens when you have a two-party system and everything sort of defaults into uh, you know two options and, and that perhaps the world isn't really comprised of infinite number of issues with two potential solutions to each. Right? So I'm really excited about that conversation and that's where we'll go next week. Okay. All right. I'm over. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I appreciate you guys being in person. I appreciate you guys being online. Um, I particularly appreciate online people. If you would let me know, Um, if there's anything we can do to make this a better experience for you and in-person people, you would let me know anything I can do to make this a better experience for you. We're trying to do in this blended thing for the first time. So I'm just grateful you all, you know, tried it out with me. (laughs) Um, Let me, let me say a little prayer for us and we'll close gracious heavenly father. um, We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you uh, not just for his life and death and resurrection, um, but for his invitation to be part of something that matters eternally, to be part of of spreading the kingdom of heaven on earth as uh, it is already where you abide. And so we pray, Father, that you would equip us by the power of your Holy Spirit to see our world as Jesus sees it. And we pray, Lord, that in so doing, we might be a voice uh, that sounds different and is different from all those that clamor for division and divisiveness Uh, We know, Lord, that there are important issues that deserve debate, Uh, but we want to be a people um, who debate those things while still witnessing the love and grace of Jesus Christ, and so we pray you'd help us uh, to be that witness for each other and for our world today. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.